Um, but you remember last week, David spoke about, and David did a wonderful job for his first sermon. Um, John and I were saying we wish our first sermons were that good. And jo- David just did a wonderful job talking about Jesus calming the storm and uh, how he gets up and hushes the waves and the wind and they stop instantly. And at the end of that, the disciples are left asking themselves a question, and which Matthew writes down for us, and they say, what type of man is this? Even the wind and the waves, they obey his voice. And, and Matthew doesn't fill in the, the answer to that question, by the way. He doesn't kind of write, oh, and by the way, the answer to that question is... But actually what happens is instantly we get this second story of what happens. And we get the answer to who Jesus is and who, who, what type of man he is. But it's not answered by anybody we would expect. And we're going to read into that right now. Okay, so we're going to be reading from Matthew 8, uh, verse 28 to 34. Short piece of scripture this morning. Open your Bibles up, keep it open on there. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one from the back. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can keep it. They're free, it's yours, it's a gift to you. Um, but let me pray real quick. Father, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, uh, just a time of worship to glorify you, to worship you, Father. And Lord, there are some scriptures that when we get up, we just want your divine revelation. Uh, and Jesus, this is one of those mornings where we just want you to speak into the hearts and minds of your children. So, Father, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew 28, uh, 8, 28 to 34, sorry. It says this, When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadda... Someone help me out. Gadarenes. <laughs> um, you tried saying it. Gadarenes, thank you, wife. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. When do you want, what do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all of this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Okay, what a moment. <laughs> and I mean, the disciples they, and Jesus, they've already had kind of a, a whole story going on. We've covered it over the last few weeks. And Jesus seems a little re-energized from his power nap in the boat. And uh, they get to the shore and the disciples have no idea what they're about to be faced with. And Jesus' disciples, they get out of the boat uh, on, the, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, opposite Capernaum. We've got a map here we'll show you. Um, it should be helpful. So Capernaum, heading towards Gadara. Um, and uh, so the, this is where they're headed. And they land on the shore there. And we don't know exactly where. All, uh, three of the Gospels have it. They don't tell us exactly where, but it's that region where they end up. And um, and. 
it's just helpful to see. I love a map. You know I love a map. So just hopefully that helps you just soak that in for a second. Um, and that's the route that they've sailed. Okay. Uh, so they get off the boat. And what we find is that they are confronted with these two men. In the other two Gospels, um, in, the, in the Gospel... Um, Sorry, the other two, I've lost my notes. In the Gospel of Mark and Luke, we see that uh, there is only one man mentioned. It could be something to do with the fact that he was much more vocal, much more, more powerful of a man and kind of went towards Jesus. Um, and in, in Matthew's Gospel, he mentions that there are two men. Um, and I think at this point, when we start talking about demon, being demon-possessed, it's really good just to clarify a little bit of what we're talking about here. Because the reality is, is that we see portrayals all the time of Satan and demons, um, whether we notice it or not. Um, we see them regularly. I remember growing up, there was, a, it was like a whole phase. I, I don't know if anybody else remembers this. There was a whole phase of like these stuffed little teddies that were devils, little devils, and they had love written on them, ironically. Um, and uh, my parents were into fads when I was growing up, so they had a couple around the house. Um, and we see stuffed little cute toys with little horns on. Oh, isn't that cute? Um, to bottles of wine, which have Diablo written on them. And, and you know, that, that's totally fine as far, as far as they're concerned. Or I remember having some golf clubs and one of them had Diablo written on it. It was a Diablo golf club. Um, all the way to football shirts um, and people making a devil the mascot of their team. Um, you know, some, some people say that they are Christians and Man United fans. I don't know if there is such a thing. Um, but, you know, they have the devil literally at the core of their badge. And you go to the games, of which, unfortunately, I had to go to one, and there was little mascots running around, just dressed like little cute devils, right? It's just, it's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit of fun. Um, and this time of year, coming up to Halloween, um, you know, People wear shirts with satanic symbols on, playing, paying homage to Satan. Um, there are kids that think it's really fun, especially when they get to the teenagers, to mess around with things like Ouija boards. And, well, it's just a bit of harmless fun. It's just a bit of excitement. And, and then even this week, we got an email from Hannah's School saying Hannah's School Disco this year will be Halloween-themed. Oh, brilliant. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, that's going to be an awkward phone call to the headmaster, but never mind. Um, so we have a wide range of views in our society, and, and, and every generation has had a wide range of views. And, but the culture we live in today, um, we can either reject the existence of spiritual beings that are evil and bring destruction to God's creation, or on the flip side, there are those who actually feel very aware and feel actually a little scared and intimidated about the existence of these spiritual beings. But the Bible is clear that the existence of evil spiritual beings is real and they can have a real influence on God's creation. They are not funny, they are not cute, and we should understand what they seek to do. They are anti-creation, they are anti-order, they are anti-relationships, they are against you. They are not your friends. They are not here to bring you messages from another world. They are here because they are against you and God's creation. 
And we need to be careful that we know that what God speaks to us about this, but also actually how we approach the subject, how we are to stand as followers of Jesus, and to understand how the Bible instructs us of what we're supposed to do. And But we also need to be careful that we don't go the other complete way. So yes, we, we might we might think, oh, well, I take them seriously. You know, I don't buy the stuffed toys. I don't support Man United because I'm a Christian. Sorry, Sam. Um, you know, but, but I, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to support Newcastle instead because that's Jesus' team. Isn't that right, John? <laughs> but we might, we might say, actually, I'm going to take it seriously. But then we don't want to be nutters who everything that happens in your life is the devil against you, you know. <laughs> um, and, and actually what we completely do is invalidate and forget what the Bible says about actually our fallen nature. And that, and that actually we're, we're prone to sin because we are fallen people. We might be bearers of God's image, but we still sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So not everybody who pulls out in front of you at a roundabout is possessed by a demon, right? Not everybody who upsets you at work is, is influenced by the devil, Right? You might feel like that sometimes, but it's not true. So we need to be careful that we have a deep understanding of what the Bible says on this subject. And we want to be people that approach the subject well, don't we? Amen? Okay. So um, what, we, what we see is uh, this moment, and, and bearing in mind, Matthew's already mentioned Jesus uh, casting out demons in his scripture already, uh, but this is the first time that we get kind of an act-on-act account of what has happened, and we get very specific telling of what's happened with these two men. And what does he mean when he says that they are possessed? What does he say, what do you mean when he's saying that these are possessed men? Well, the, the word translated from the Greek literally means they are demonized. Um, they have been demonized. The word describes that those who are thoroughly under the control of demons. They literally cannot control themselves. And this means that they engage regularly in self-destructive behavior and consistently show and exhibit supernatural strength and abilities. Uh, Professor Robert Leitner, um, he wrote this, he said, one is demon-possessed when a demon or demons we're going to get to that, take up residence in that person's body, resulting in a degrees of derangement and the ability of the, of, of, the possessed to, of the possessed to free himself or herself from that demonic control. They, they can't help themselves. Possession occurs when demons go beyond exerting influence and actually indwell their victims. Matthew tells us, doesn't he, that, that, that these men, they're violent. Like they literally can't pass by and get to where they want to go. These are violent men. And the, and the other gospel writers, they give us more details about what's going on with, with these men. They, it tells us that they are chained up. They're regularly chained up and able to break free from these tr chains. They're trying to restrain them and they keep snapping them. They would cut themselves with sharp rocks and make themselves bleed. They, they would literally just injure themselves and hurt themselves constantly. Um, and, and they were just in an awful place. They've been abandoned by their community. And they've been treat, they're treated worse than animals. They are left 
outside of com community completely, and they're left in the graveyard. Now, this isn't a graveyard as we see it today with gravestones. This is a, a place with caves uh, where people would go and be buried. It's a place marked for death. And um, Luke tells us that they are completely naked. They've been naked for some time. Can you just imagine this picture? These men, so terrifying, so frightening, and yet so lost and hurt and broken. What a sight this would have been. So sad for the disciples to see it. And uh, it tells us that this demon-possessed man and his, and his, and his companion, and they, but they have this encounter with Jesus. They have this encounter with Jesus, and something happens. Now, um, in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, uh, it suggests that one of them is likely bigger and stronger here. It seems to be the man who confronts Jesus. And Matthew tells us what is said. And he says to Jesus, he says, What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, Mark and Luke tell us some other details from the conversation. They say that Jesus actually asks the demon, what is your name? And the demon responds, my name is Legion because we are many. And the term Legion, it refers to a, a, a Roman legion, about 6,000 men. And uh, it's a, that's what he's referring to. Now, the demons may have exa exaggerated, um, might not have been 6,000 of them. But what it tells us is that this man wasn't, wasn't just possessed by one demon, but he was absolutely infested with demons. And here's the thing. Uh, you, you remember Jesus, like I said at the beginning, he calms the storm and the wind and the waves, they obey his voice and the disciples are left and they say, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, the demons are fully aware of who Jesus is. Fully aware. They address him. What do you want with us, Son of God? They know exactly who they're speaking to. They know exactly who they're talking to. He is the Son of the Lord God Most High. The one with complete authority over them. And all through Jesus' life and his ministry, you will see people, the most educated, the ones who are supposed to represent God to the people. You will see time and time again the most educated, the most religious elite, and they will struggle to recognize Jesus for who he is. But not these demons. The demons know exactly who he is. James 2, 19 says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They know exactly who God is. And they know exactly who they're talking to. And in this moment, the demons, they are wriggling, they are, they are shuddering, they are scared because they know who is approaching them. Um, you know, in our garden at home, it's a ridiculously uncontrollable garden at times. And when we go out there and we, and we try and kind of blast it as a family, Jenny and I go out with Hannah and our little girl, Hannah, one of her favorite things to do in the garden, I'm sure any, anybody who's had a five-year-old or has a five-year-old understands, one of her favorite things to do is find bugs. And she goes over, and we have this little bug hotel in our garden, and Hannah goes and finds the bugs and moves them to the bug hotel, whether they like it or not. That's where you're going to live from now on. And, um, and if you've 
taken part in this activity. It's a wonderful thing to do. But when you lift a rock in the garden and there's like a whole family of wood lice in there, spider, beetle, slug, whatever. And what do they do? You lift the rock and expose them to the light and they all like they shudder and run and wiggle and play dead and, you know, run away. And, and you see, it's an incredible picture of exactly what is happening in this moment in the spiritual realm. Jesus has lifted the rock and brought in the light and all of a sudden there is a whole bunch of wriggling and squirming and running. And that's what happens. And Jesus walks up to these men and, he is, and a request is made to him. We're going to get into that in just a second. And, and, and they're like the wood lice in this moment. Have you come to judge us? <laughs> Have you come to bring judgment on us now? There is no fight. There is no argument. Jesus says one word to them and he says, go. One word. There's no sprinkling of holy water. There's no reading the rite of exorcism. Jesus' authority was and is absolute. Uh, listen, brothers and sisters, do we know who Jesus is? Or are we like in the boat, the disciples in the boat? Who is this man? Who is this man that I keep hearing about? Who is this man that people keep telling me about? Who is this man who has apparently done all of these miracles in my friend's life? Do we know who Jesus is? In our lives as disciples, do we really know and believe who Jesus is? Do we have the faith that he is who he says he is? Do we believe in his promises? Do we have the faith that the men found that day in those demon-possessed men that, that in one word, we might be hopeless, we might be helpless, we might be totally un under the influence of things that we shouldn't be under the influence of? Do we believe that Jesus can conquer any and every situation that we find ourselves in? Any hardship, any storm, any wind, any wave, no matter how scary, no matter how opposing the evil one is towards us, do we have belief in, in Jesus' power, in his authority? Do we believe that when we pray for healing, we will see healing? Do we believe that when we say that this church is not full, that it will be full? Do we believe? Do we believe that in one word, Jesus can change the mind of governments or energy companies or, or anything that we ask him to do? Do we believe in Jesus' authority being final and, and, and everything? Do we truly believe? And I don't know, maybe you just came in this morning like, man, I need a breakthrough, I need a miracle, my business is failing, my family is failing, my marriage is failing, my, everything in my life seems to be failing. Do we believe that we can come to Jesus and say, hey, will you help us? Will you help me as your child? And do we believe that with one word, Jesus can completely change everything? One word, no argument, no hesitation. We want to be a people who believe in Jesus' power and authority and speak Jesus' power and authority and declare who Jesus is. The demons, you see, they knew their ultimate destiny. They knew where they were going. They knew what would happen. 
And uh, that's the first question they ask Jesus. They say, Jesus, have you come to torment us before the, 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 the time, before, before the time is right, as far as they could see it? And later, Jesus would go on to teach in Matthew 25, 41. He says, to, uh, he says about the devil and his angels. He says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus was very clear that at one, one day, that all evil would be gone. And his judgment that he would bring, he would, he would bring it and the devil and his, and his minions would be sent into eternal judgment. And their ability to roam the earth, to tempt, to afflict, to oppress, and to possess the people, God's creation, would be, would be at an end. And judgment was coming and Jesus was the judge. And the last part of this crazy, strange story, um, is that the demons, they, they, they asked Jesus and they, said, they begged him and they pleaded with him to say, if you cast us out, would you cast us into that herd of pigs? He said, I mean, this is a weird story. It's okay. It's a, kind of, it's a bizarre thing. If you drive us out, will you send us into the herd of pigs? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why they asked for this. Matthew kind of doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us why they specifically ask for this to be the case. So we're not 100% sure why this is asked. There's some theories around that, which I won't go into. But Jesus grants our request. And, and it seems like they like to inhabit other living beings and, and off they go. And why was the 2,000 pigs wandering around? <laughs> um, I don't know last time you saw 2,000 pigs wandering. Um, well, uh, there were... We know that there's uh, what's called swine herds, which is my new word this week. Uh, not shepherds, swine herds. Um, they're looking after the pigs, so they clearly belong to somebody. They were livestock. And we know that that region around Gadara, it was primarily Gentile a region. They were, it wasn't Jewish. What we know about pigs is that the pigs w were seen as unclean according to the Mosaic law. The Jewish weren't allowed to keep them, weren't allowed to have them. Um, they were seen as unclean. They certainly weren't allowed a bacon sandwich. The Gentiles, they kept them. And these pigs that are obviously being looked after, but there's a huge herd of them. And the demons leave these men and they, and they immediately enter these pigs. And the pigs, it sends them into a frenzy. And they head down the steep bank into the Sea of Galilee where they die and they drown they drown and die with, with the demons inside of them. Yeah, I know. Crazy story. Crazy story. And a lot's happened here. But you see, as we talk about these pigs and as we talk about the demons, our attention, it's so easy for it to go off who Jesus' focus is on. Who is Jesus' focus on? The two men. The two men. His children, God's creation, the ones he wants to see well and unbound and unchained. That's who Jesus' focus is on. We can get all caught up in the Hollywood story. Like, yeah, there was these demons and then there was these pigs. What about the two guys? Well, we know that they're free. 
we know that they have been freed from the torment. We know that they become right-minded, that they are able to have a conversation, that the violence has left them, that the need to self-harm has left them, that they can be integrated back into society, that they can go back and be with their family. In fact, one of the men tells us that he wants to get into the boat with Jesus and his disciples and go with Jesus. I want to come with you. He says, no, it's right you go back to your family. Go back with your family. And there's these 2,000 pigs floating in the sea. It's a nice picture for you. Sure, it smelled a week later. And, and what do we see as a result of all this? Let's talk about what happens after. We see the owners of the pigs, they're not impressed, and they rally the people from nearby, and they all come, and they come to Jesus, and they say, will you leave, please? Notice they don't ask for compensation for, for what's just happened. They don't ask Jesus, hey, you owe us 2,000 pigs, right? No, they just say, hey, forget it, just, but please go, please leave. We want you to leave. And Jesus does. He leaves. Now, was it the Jesus that killed the pigs? No. You see, Jesus brought life. He brought life to these two men. The demons killed the pigs. Because the enemy, evil, brings death. What an incredible picture of what Jesus brings compared to what, compared to what evil brings. It was, it was the evil, the demons, that killed the pigs. But rather than rejoicing and the relief that these two men who have been in such a horrible state, these two men that have just been living under such torment, such agony, that they've tried to chain up because they've caused so many issues for, for people who have lived there. Rather than rejoicing that these two men, praise God, like a saviour has come. No, these people, they, they prefer swine over saviour. You see, they're more interested in the pigs over than the people. Paul uh, Labatoff, he's a theologian, I read this this week. He said, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers its pigs. And that's so true, isn't it? You see, pigs represented so much more. It's no coincidence. It's not, it's not 2,000 sheep. It's 2,000 pigs. And they represent so much in what God says is, is not right for us. It's not okay for us to be around. Fortunately, we live... The other side, in the new covenant now, we don't live under Mosaic law, but for God's people, they were taught that pigs, you must stay away from them. They are unclean animals. And how many times, through generation after generation after generation, do we go towards, even now, what God tells us is not right for us, is unclean for us. The pigs represent so much more. And you see, people prefer pigs over people. <laughs> They prefer to build what they want, to go with what they think is okay for them, what is right for them. And they reject Jesus. And Jesus, he grants our request. He leaves. He leaves. What a disappointment. They're not in awe of Jesus. They're not desperate for a savior. They just don't want Jesus to mess up their life and how their life is going and what they think is important. They don't want their lives disturbed anymore. And like the demons in this story, like the rock that's been lifted and the wood lice that squirm around because Jesus has walked into the room, 
The people in this story, Jesus has walked into their lives and they start squirming and asking him to leave because they don't like it. They don't want it. So many times I have come across situations where Jesus walks into the room and everything changes. The power, the majesty that he brings. And maybe this morning we just, we've got a bit uncomfortable with Jesus coming in and changing things in our lives. And we say, actually, Jesus, I'm kind of comfortable without you. Can you leave me? Let me just say this. He is God himself. He is the one with one word calms the wind and the waves. With one word, demons leave. The one who all creation must obey. There's nothing here on this earth, no amount of pigs, no amount of, uh, of possession that you can own that is more valuable than, than knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and this, in this moment, just as Jesus has with these men, it should be a reminder to us as followers of Jesus um, uh, that there is an enemy out there who wants to keep you just where you are, if not worse. He doesn't want you to grow in Jesus. There is opposition to you growing in Jesus. There is opposition to us meeting here on a Sunday morning, sometimes more than you probably realize when you gather. There's opposition to us as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, reaching the lost with the gospel message. There's opposition. There's opposition in our government, there's opposition to, to biblical teaching. There's opposition uh, in, in our relationships. There's opposition in our own families that we will come across time and time again. There is someone who is against you. There is someone who will use himself and his minions to do what he can to stop you in your tracks. As a messenger of Christ, as someone who is, who is called to share the gospel, and there are people in this very room that have come across opposition that feels too big, where the wind feels too strong, where the waves feel too, too destructive. There are people in this, in this very room that have experienced and encountered that in the last few months. And I have cried with some people in this room who have come across opposition that has felt too big. Ephesians 6 10 to 12 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As children of God and as servants of Christ, we are engaged in battle against evil and against the enemy, whether you know it or not. <laughs> whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, you are in a battle. And the enemy will use every tool that he can. And it's important for us to realize that how we need to take a stand because he will tempt. 
He will use deception. He will persecute. He will use immorality. And there will be injustice. And all of these things are designed for one purpose. To stop you following Christ. He will lie. In fact, when Jesus says when he uses, when he lies, he's using his native tongue. That's, that's his language. And I just felt this morning that some of you feel like you're in a fight. Maybe you've caught yourself in a sin that you're just unable to see, you seem unable to unlock yourself from it. Like no matter what I do, no matter what book I read, no matter how much I read, it's just like I keep falling into the same sin. I keep going back. And I just felt this morning that we need to remember that Jesus just has to say one word. And Jesus says as well, when he pushes these things out of our lives, when these things are pushed out of our, out of our lives, we need to fill that gap with him. We need to fill our house with his power, with his presence, with Jesus. Are you struggling with sin this morning? Do you feel under attack? <laughs> you know, we don't want to be those crazy people where, everybody, like I said, like everybody who cuts you off in traffic is possessed. <laughs> but do you feel like, actually, I just feel, I feel under attack. I just feel the strain, actually. Jesus says, my burden is light. So actually, we need to push back against the darkness, stand firm in his mighty power. Paul tells us clearly, wear the armor of God in order that you can stand firm in that armor and against the attacks of the evil one. And lastly, I just want to finish by saying we must never forget, ever forget, that we are on the winning side. Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus consolidated all of his authority and God raised him through the Holy Spirit back to life. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. Why is he sat down? Is he, is he sat down because he's about to have a fight? No, he's sat down because he's won the fight. The battle is won. He is sat at the right hand of the Father. And through his victory, you have the victory. Over every temptation, over every situation, over every storm, and over every every arrow that the enemy fires at you. And one day, judgment will be passed on all evil. Revelation 20.10, it's the last book that we have in our Bible, it says, and the devil who deceived them, that's you and me, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had, be, had been thrown they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is a judgment coming on all evil and the judgment of Christ is scary. Thank God for his blood. But in the meantime, you have been given the power of his Holy Spirit. You're not acting in your own strength, in your own power. You are acting in the same power that on that day Jesus said, go, and the demons went <laughs> On the same day that Jesus said, hush now to the waves and the wind, and they hushed. The same power is flowing through you, brothers and sisters. 1 John 4, verse 4, my last, my last scripture, and I'm going to hand over to John. It says, you dear children 
are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the enemy. Amen. Amen.